Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Minnesota Politics 101. I am Pat Kessler, the political reporter at WCCO Television in Minneapolis. Minnesota's campaigns are sharply ramping up ahead of the November elections. Local TV stations like ours, WCCO Television, are suddenly awash in campaign ads, campaign cash as well, a lot of money. Candidates and outside groups are spending millions of dollars, much of this for negative ads, and we are seeing them wall to wall now. So we're bringing you a fresh, funny ad from a Democratic candidate, something completely different. It's funny. That's running in the Twin Cities from a congressional race that has some national implications. We'll play that for you in a little bit. We're also going to give you a taste of the governor's race here in Minnesota between Republican Jeff Johnson and Democrat Tim Waltz. And for political data geeks, we are talking to folks at the Republican National Committee about their get-out-the-vote effort. They are crunching numbers down to a level that is definitely going to surprise you. President Donald Trump lost Minnesota by only a half percentage point, the closest any Republican has come to winning here in decades. The president won Wisconsin and Michigan, too, against all odds and against all the polls. Part of this reason, a sophisticated data mining operation. That sounds cool. Data mining operation by the Republican National Committee that identifies parties not just by political party but also by where the voters live, what kinds of magazines they subscribe to, what they buy at the grocery store, and how likely they are to vote. Christiana, great to talk with you. Thanks for having us. Christiana Purvis is the Regional Communications Director for the RNC. The RNC is testing this algorithm here in Minnesota for the 2018 midterm elections. So we have a data program that, which basically starts with the voter file um, that we get from the Secretary of State's office. Um, and then we build off of that with consumer data. Um, so we purchase consumer data. It's all public information um, and available to anyone with the means to buy it. Um, and we take those consumer data points and we knock them up against our voter file um, and we implement surveys out in the field to get a sense of where the electorate stands um, and, you know, for instance, how likely they are to turn out to vote, how likely they are to vote for a Republican, how likely they are to hold a certain sentiment. Sure. Let me back you up a little bit then. Uh, what do you mean by consumer data? So consumer data is anything from what kind of car you drive to what magazine subscriptions you might have. Um, and so then we take, what we do is we go into the so field. So you can find that out. Yes, it's all public information sure. and you can buy it from the consumer data um, vendors. Yeah, I'm not saying there's anything negative or yeah. wrong about it, but you are able to mine that data and find out I drink Coca-Cola instead of Pepsi <laughs> uh, or I subscribe to the Star Garden Tribune. Guns magazine or something, right. something like that. Yes. So we are able to see all of those um, data points. And what we do is we go into the field with a survey, so kind of like traditional polling, um, and we ask a host of questions to voters, and then we take the ones we surveyed and we take the data points that they might have in common with the individuals we did not survey, and then that allows us to assign a number 
to voters from zero to 100 on how likely they are to vote, support a Republican, or have a certain sentiment. And so you will go to a door and know that that person might have voted Republican, uh, but you don't know if they're going to vote in the next couple of elections. Right. So um, what makes it difficult in Minnesota, for instance, is you don't have party registration. Um, so we really have to uh, look for the correlations and the commonalities in those consumer data points to see how likely they might be to support a Republican based off of what we heard in the surveys that we implemented out in the field. So how accurate do you think you are when you collect consumer data points yeah. and also electoral uh, mm -hmm. data points? How, how accurate do you think you are in predicting how someone is going to act. Extremely um, accurate. So for instance, in the 2016 election cycle, we came within a percentage point of predicting turnout for the entire election. Um, and so we've seen successes like that in um, Montana special election, the Georgia special election. Um, so not only have we been accurate in um, you know, a presidential election year. But we've also been accurate in these special elections, which is very hard to predict because you don't know who's going to turn right. out to these. There's um, lack of historical data to back those up. So um, the fact that we've been able to get so close with our voter scores in these elections makes us very confident that we have the tools necessary in order to um, hand over the data to these candidates to be able to win in November. So when you move into a state and help out with your Republican candidate, uh, are you able then to go into a neighborhood and predict what this house is going to do and what the voter in the house down the street is going to do? And then do you go to those houses or skip those houses? So that's the nice thing about data nowadays um, and, and the way it's transforming elections um, is that we are able to see the voters who we need to talk to, the issues they care about down to the specific voter. So we can go to a house um, and they might have you know, two different individuals in the household. We know which ones are with us, which ones might need to be um, persuaded, and what issues they care about. Um, so that has made uh, campaigning more effective and efficient. And honestly, I mean, nowadays, there's so much information out there, and we are getting a lot of noise coming in with different ads, and especially political ads. So it's important um, for us to know who we need to talk to, and I think it also benefits the voters because we're not wasting their time at the door. You're, it's fascinating and terrifying at the same time that people know so much about all of us as voters. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you did with President Trump here in Minnesota. As you know, he came, as you mentioned, he came very close to winning here. I don't think people saw that coming. No, and honestly, um, you know, they didn't see that coming in Wisconsin or Michigan either. Exactly. Obviously, they, uh, you know, when we saw a pathway forward in those states, uh, we doubled down on our um, data program and our ground game. And when people are saying you're crazy for going to Michigan or Wisconsin, we said, no, we have a pathway to win there, and that's what we did. So here in Minnesota, what is the goal? Uh, getting out the vote? Are you uh, targeting, targeting it to congressional districts statewide? Uh, explain that a little bit. So we obviously have targeted races across the country that um, you know are determined uh, through different ways and um, different pundits uh, may have different takes on that. But we, um, we focus our data program on anyone with an R before their name. So what's unique to our program that we've built is that um, we have a candidate or we the Democrats always had a candidate centric 
model. So when President Obama left office, all of that data went with him. What we've wanted to build and what we've learned from that is that we need to have a party-centric model so that anyone with an R before their name has access to our data. Um, the same data that got President Trump elected in 2016, they have access to for the midterms and beyond. Um, so we not only can play in congressional races, we can um, say we can give the same data to anyone from city council all the way up to the presidency. And so when you're collecting the data, are you able to tell me right here, right now, what is a typical Republican in Minnesota or a typical Democrat for that matter? Yeah, we have different data points that um, we've seen and obviously uh, is what we're out talking to voters about, for instance. Um, in Minnesota, we know that a majority of voters want to elect individuals who will go to Congress and work with the administration and Republicans to get things done. The obstruct and resist message that the Democrats are pushing is not sticking with people across the country or especially here in Minnesota. The big ones for us are how likely are you to turn out? How likely are you to support the Republican candidate? If you're a swing voter, what are the issues that matter to you most so that we can talk to you and tell you about the Republican uh, platform on that issue um, and essentially convince you to be on our side. So here in Minnesota, we have an unusual open seat for governor. Democratic Governor Mark Dayton has served for eight years in office. He's not running again. So there's been a stampede of candidates trying to succeed him. A new Star Tribune Minnesota Public Radio poll shows that Democrat Tim Waltz is running ahead of Republican Jeff Johnson. Here are the numbers. Waltz has 45%, Jeff Johnson at 36%, and there is a huge number undecided. 16% of voters say they haven't made up their minds yet. Those are numbers we don't normally see. So in general, it's a close race, but it's also a very cordial race, which is kind of a relief in this normally poisonous, politically toxic election season. It's been horrible. This week there was a public forum, a good time to dip into this campaign. You're going to get a sense of where both of them stand. Here's a very short clip of Jeff Johnson followed by Tim Waltz. I mean, they couldn't be more different. Tim and I get along great, if you can't tell that. But we do have very, very divergent views about the future of Minnesota and the future of Minnesotans. I believe that Minnesotans and Minnesota businesses are overtaxed, and Tim Walls believes we are undertaxed. I believe that you should have more control over your health care and more choices and more options in your health insurance, and Tim has said that we need to move to a single-payer system where everyone loses their insurance and we are all forced onto one government plan. I believe that we should actually cooperate with the federal government when it comes to immigration, illegal immigration enforcement, and Tim believes we should become a sanctuary state, which is on the far fringe even of his own party. I believe we should have a work requirement for those who are able to work, so that they're at least, if they're on welfare, so they're at least able to work part-time or looking for work or getting training or even volunteering. Tim disagrees with that. Uh, and I believe that we as government need to be much more careful with other people's money than how we have been, and Tim has made so many spending promises, no one's gonna be able to afford to live here anymore if he actually keeps them. That is not the right direction for Minnesota. I will empower people, I will empower entrepreneurs, I will empower parents, because I think that's what government should be doing. We should be moving in there to empower people rather than try to control or direct them as we have. 
we live in a great state. We live in the greatest state in the United States of America. If I didn't believe that, I would have moved somewhere else. But we can be even better, and I do fear the road we're on because we are losing people based upon the unaccountability of government and the fact that we are so highly taxed in this state. So I ask for you to take a look at us, kind of watch the race, and I would love your support. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Congressman Walls. Well, thank you. Thank you to the organizers. Thank you, Jeff, for the work. Uh, you failed to tell them I'm going to take their puppies, too, from them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know me. Um, but uh, I do appreciate this, and Jeff and I have been at this a long time, and, and I think this is what, this is what uh, the country should expect with the poison politics, um, and what we've seen is there, and regardless of where your, your politics are at, uh, name-calling, divisiveness, anger, all of that, uh, is not going to solve problems. I understand. Fear, too. Fear, I taught fourth grade, fear is a wonderful short-term motivator. It does, not, it does not change behaviors. We are not fearful people. We look to the future. We don't fear the future, we create the future. This is a state, again, that ranks at the top of so many measures. This is a state that the quality of life, and yes, you get what you pay for. I'm not interested in being Mississippi, I'm interested in being Minnesota. And it talks about conversations with people. I am a school teacher. I came from a family where my father died of cancer and those bills piled up on my mom. I joined the Army to use the GI Bill because I do believe in hard work and I do believe that you should earn things. But I also realized where I saw in my family, sometimes you need a hand up and that was Social Security survivor benefits. And what I did know was I wasn't ever going to get into the Harvard, but I sure could get into a great state school and give me the skill set to live the life and achieve the dream I wanted to dream. That's what Minnesota's been about. This is a place, no matter who you are, black, white, brown, indigenous, you got an opportunity to succeed. This is a place that we believe it is a fundamental need to get health care, and I simply reject the notion that the wonderful market is working so great that we spend twice as much as anybody else and get half for it. I don't care what you call it, if it works better, more efficiently, keeps people healthy, and keeps them moving forward. That's what we should be striving for. But none of those things will happen unless we figure out our common vision, a one Minnesota, with the wonderful diversity of ideas, but with the capacity of a governor who has proven to bring people together. We've also got that hotly contested third congressional district race in Minnesota, Republican Congressman Eric Paulson, He's one of the very few members of Congress representing a district that was won by a Democrat, Hillary Clinton. And he has carefully avoided holding open town hall meetings. He went seven years without holding one. Instead, like a lot of Republicans around the country this year, he has staged, he's staging highly controlled ticketed events. Apparently, because he's afraid of it all. He doesn't want anybody to yell at him in public, and he doesn't want anybody to give him a gotcha moment, you know, that they're going to record on their cell phones and then play on social media. I get it. You know, I get it. But that's why his challenger, Dean Phillips, is running a very funny digital ad featuring the legendary elusive creature Bigfoot, who's very frustrated, Bigfoot is, because even he cannot find Eric Paulson. This is worth seeing, but listen to this. Take a listen. I thought I was good at hiding. <laughs> and Eric Paulson comes along. I mean, how can you have tens of thousands of people looking for you all the time and not one of them find you? 
I started to wonder, did Eric Paulson really exist? I mean, I mean, where's the proof? Some blurry photo taken from miles away? Yeah, I had to know. So I had to come up with a plan. Paulson takes piles of money from Big Pharma and votes to erode essential health care protections. So the most likely place to find him is at the Big Pharmaceutical Company. And that's where I went. I was prepared to stay there for weeks. It took seven minutes. I was so shocked when I saw him walking by, I almost dropped the camera. But I got it. Got it. Visual proof. <sighs> so take it from me, Bigfoot. Eric Paulson really exists. Bigfoot is hiding in plain sight, apparently. That's Minnesota Politics 101. It is produced by Sean Skinner. I'm Pat Kessler. See you next week.